This program is a presentation of UCTV for educational and non-commercial use only. The thing I like to do most, or the part about being a writer that I like, is performing. I don't like to write that much. Sitting down writing is, that's a chore. Um, but I, <clears throat> I, like to, uh, I like to perform. And what I've been doing like this, uh, reading in this kind of uh, uh, setup, uh, environment, or, well, this is, this is, like I said, dignified and so forth, and you know, the audience is going to sit down. and really listen to a poet, you know, and there isn't somebody making espresso in the back and so forth, you know, and somebody's not dropping a spoon or something, you know, which, you know, hey, that's okay, but this allows me to get more into the poem. And I think that uh, what I'm looking forward to is the audience being able to hear the poems much, much better than I've been, than I've had an op opportunity to do in the past. So that's what I'm excited about tonight's reading. I was reading one of the notes that said that um, now I'm a Tijuana poet. So I said to myself, well, where, you know, where do you get this? Where, where are poets, uh, you know, where are poets from? Um, uh, I guess you're from wherever you were born and then wherever you go. That's where you're from. <laughs> so that made me think about, like, I said, well, you know, I've been away from New York for so long. Uh, I remember that the first years that I was here in, in the West Coast, I wrote a poem for my son because I missed him so much. He was eight years old at the time. So I'd like to open with that poem. It's called, Poem for the Fact That I Haven't Seen the Face of My Son in Two Whole Years of Our Lives Gone Past. First, you take the two tiny feet in between your middle and ring and index fingers, bracing them between your thumb and lift them up off of the bed and raise his tiny soft and flabby buns above the wet and soggy protective cotton-coated lining of the new fangled contraptionated foam rubber diaper that's in the vogue for newborn babies now to model in their playpens and cribs, to flaunt about in daycare centers, in shopping malls, in doctor's offices, as you separate him from his brand new mass of mess that he's just left behind to greet your day like fresh, strong coffee smells. <laughs> this is, apparently, the thanks a parent gets, the composite quality, the quantity of which is measured in teaspoons of food amounting to the organic chemical compoundination complicatedly, eloquently eloquated in the equationable hypothesis, caca doo doo da over a diaper square. 
As you do this with pure love, so tenderly in your bare hands, you might think to tickle him beneath his unwrinkled chin and observe for yourself how you've just made a part of yourself outside of yourself participate in the phenomenon of human laughter, the element of life which binds a man to a bird, music when it's heard, a tree sway against the sky, and this therefore the reason why he might push your hand away with all the might he might conjure up to swell in the sweat of his hands, all in the knowledge of his two-week stay on this world in all that he understands of it. But please don't you misunderstand yourself. He is just a child, not yet a man. So then you take the dirty diaper and find a clean place somewhere on its surface, most probably up front, and wipe it across the crack of his bare behind, cleaning off any excess excrement that might be stuck up there still. And then you pull away the rag and dispose of it most properly without moving a single inch from where you are, nor letting go the feet. Then you take a clean and warm damp cloth and wipe the smell away, and perhaps another for hygienic sake. And then you dry him up with soft dabs of still a softer cloth. Then you take a decent glob of Vaseline petroleum-type jelly stuff although vitamin E would be even better an idea, and you rub it all in there with care to prevent those mean old nasty germs from starting up their own inhuman race on the face of your babies behind. <laughs> then this is when you place the brand new diaper underneath pre-folded just the way your mother taught you to, and you sprinkle some Johnson's and Johnson's baby powder generously all over. Then you fold up the front panel and tuck it in one side and pin it up good and tight. Then you fold the other over and tuck it up as just as good, pinning it with a snug. Then you pull his T-shirt over it, and you place your hands under his arms and hold him up behind his neck and lift him up against your chest as you kiss him hard and hold him tight and sway him to asleep this night because he'll never be this age again. On the page, right, when you see it on the page, there's this style to it being on the page. It like, like, like pours onto the page and um, which I call cascadence, because the words cas seem to cascade down the page. Um, they're multi-tabs that control where the lines begin and end, and there's the use of blank space. But more than the use of blank space, the blank space is, is incidental to, to, um, to where the words are in relationship to each other. The blank space occurs as a result of the length of a line and where it begins and, and where the other one ends. So, so then the blank space is created. That's uh, kind of secondary. But what's more important to me is that flow because it's like a stream of consciousness that's happening between me and, and the formation of the words. You know, words are abstract, really. And because they have meaning and how they're intoned, uh, is they create effects. Uh, you know, like colors in a sense, you know, or abstract, and until you begin to brush them or apply them to the canvas and manipulate 
them in such a form that a message is said. Thank you. I've selected a few of uh, fun poems, some of my favorite poems and fun poems to read. Some of them, the messages are kind of uh, harsh, but they're still fun to read for me. And so here they go. And not <laughs> on the serious side. Some women whom I know. Do women know instinctively just how to recline in a dark alley? between garbage cans and broken bottles, among old newspapers, wet mattresses. When they are thrown there by their rapists, in another moment their murderers, the abductors of their human liberty, Invaders of their spiritual dignity, grabbing the souls of their bodily existence from out of a night a moment before pure mystery. Strange, all unfamiliar in innocent uncertainty in the performance of a cry. I know women who get slapped across their rouged faces by the rough hands of men who embrace them. Boyfriends who abuse their friendship because they are the better fighters. Exercising the dexterity of flexing a muscle across a supple cheek, even if against with whom they sleep, so comfortably stretched along the beds where they lay their heads to dream their separate dreams, where they escape and then awake, frightened by their fate. My friends, these women whom I've come to know go back to their lovers, some with wounds unfully healed, some with scars not yet revealed. Always a different woman goes, packs up her things and goes, unknowing why tears fill her eyes. Except for love, she goes loves her so. Thank you. A poem about a, a different love. Different type of love. It's called Otter Spaciness. This is for my, my girlfriend, Anna. Utterly, utterly, utterly lovingly utters the utter in utter belief. 
that this which he feels right through to his heels, while utterly brief, is as real as real can utterly be. So the other believes, one otter onto an otter believe, that this then be he, henceforth and now he and his she, who alone yet not lonely believe in the love they each see in the sea of their meant where they meet eye to eye in the strange space of a sigh where a wise guy still tries to belie the plain truth of a lie. Be it so said, so it twirls in our head. Be it so imagined or otherwise uttered or un, a thought or a drift that be that and this, this. Out of this world, utterly out of this world, utterly wordlessly otter, out of this world, and not any other otter should be but we. This is a, thank you, thank you. This is a new form, American haiku. Lady patting baby on the bottom through her pampers in the window pane. <laughs> I'm going to read a poem um, about a, a, a man who was run over by a car on the freeway on 5, uh, I-5. Uh, he was, uh, you know, an illegal immigrant, and, and he was run over by a car, and what and I was driving by. I arrived at the scene just after it had happened. And you know, that's when, when they're still pulling traffic, they're trying to get order. You know, just regular people that were civilians who were on the scene. And um, uh, uh, they had a, a blanket over him, I remember. And, uh, and I thought to myself, because you could see his pants and so forth, still, you know, from under the blanket. And I observed, to me, it occurred that the blanket that was on, over, covering him was the most expensive piece of apparel that he had on. Two poems about San Diego. OK. This, um. OK. <clears throat> these, OK. These, these are true. They really happened. I, I really saw them happen. This is called Tourism Up Dow Jones Six Points. Welcome to San Diego. Now go home, say the bumper stickers. Last stop in the U.S. of A. Where the driving civilian population has the free way to run over Mexican illegal aliens on the highway. All on the run, trying to escape their native tongue to find a decent job in a land where they can't speak a word of the language the people use there to abuse them. I've seen them lying dead on the sides of the road, the road to Mexico, the road to San Diego, wrapped in blankets of finer cloths, than the rags of their own clothes. It is this way. It is this way. These unnumbered, outnumbered, outlawed hard workers become 
documented dead people in the morgue of a strange world, truly forgotten. And then uh, another poem that I'll be doing uh, is, is a poem about um, watching um, the the van where they have where the migra has uh, the people they've collected, and one man runs out of the van and they tackle him in the street and they and they wrestle him into handcuffs and throw him back into the van and drive away. And uh, this happened in front when I used to live on in Gaslamp, downtown Market Street. Uh, this happened in front of my house, so I was like watching it from the second floor, and uh, I wrote a poem about that. It's called Sui Societality, which I don't know what that means, but you know, it, it fit. <laughs> the man from the United States Immigration Office drives an unmarked vehicle, which does not say so. Slowly through the streets of sunny San Diego, like a catcher of stray dogs looking for People who are so described by the authorities on said subject matter, to whom such a thing would matter of these pretentiously un-United States of human conflict and what is legal and what is fair and just what is just. Ice describes these people's feelings with whose lips they kiss their wives good morning and go off to do the duty they must do as the holy and unlawful so prescribed. So they spend this day chasing and catching grown men in the image of God whom they say they represent. It was one clear and sunny such San Diego day. My eyes with me behind them had the sad misfortune to witness unto God. It was not a lovely sight. No, not one, one would not have wanted to see it. Their vehicle was stopped at the corner of an indecent street where crimes of daily indiscreet agreed to meet to transact life with a sad and mundane fact waiting for the light to change like a patient vehicle of unsuspecting unimportance except for the lives of its occupants, all living in a slow kind of hurry. When all of a mean, all of a sudden, the side door flies open and out runs this man at the top of his desperate heart speed like a kid just doing something and he has to run to do it. When then two other grown men jump out of the vehicle van and give chase to the man down the street just like kids having done something and have to run. When one man dives through the air, this is tense, not at all, not at ease. And he tackles the man running like we love to see in the movies. But this is not, this is real life unfolding in a drama. And he knocks him down to the ground, his face against the ground, like the sole of a very determined shoe. Instead, a man and his soul against the ground. There is a terrible fight. You really don't want to see it, unless, of course, you enjoy such sights. Finding them some delight, as a poet might be condemned to do. Two grown men fighting, 
Two grown men with their hands rolled in the fists, throwing their fists against a sea of air, striking angels and demons, the wind, the breath of life, trying desperately to kill each other off, full of hate against each other, for unknown reasons in this world, unknown to me, certainly a mystery to me. When then the other grown man jumps in, and he's against the man who started it with his running, and very quickly, in the heat of this day, it's all over between them. Together now, the men drag the man away like heavy luggage, and they throw him among the other men whom they've betrayed as men on this God-given day. Well, I find myself with my throat filled with my own blood yelling. Let him go, mother. Let him go, whoa. And people milling around in their circles in the streets below. Look up to my window. In their eyes, I could see them thinking, I am mad. I have to see it as I'm writing it. I have to see it. Like, I have poems, like, when I was younger. Well, something always happens. That you write something, you don't really understand what it means, but you like it so much, you don't want to erase it. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Well, you know, I'm, I'm inspired. <laughs> so, you know, you just go for it anyway. Uh, there have been poems like that. But basically, I like to understand and see what I'm saying so that, you know, so that it can be seen as well, I think. You know, if I could see it, someone else should be able to. This is a, <laughs> this is a poem inspired by TV, in case you think TV doesn't, you know, help our culture any. <laughs> Drama on TV is a literate poem here. It goes like this. Americans, these sissies of no emotion, made in the USA say the labels on everything. When a tragedy occurs on TV, where all is nothing but pure fantasy, a commercial comes on almost immediately, selling us something, soothing whatever stings, diverting our feelings from the spans of our attention. Can't stand to let you ponder the pain, even if it's unreal. George shoots Lenny in Mice and Men on TV in the back of the head. The perfect BLT, mayonnaise by Good Foods. <laughs> when the drama resumes, we have forgotten what had happened. Although there is a human body lying on the ground. But we can smell the bacon sizzling on the pan. You get this invasion of images in your mind, and, 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 and they're um, compelling you to do something about it, because there they are. 
And uh, it's interesting. You say, well, okay, yeah, you know, maybe I could have painted painted them, you know, but I knew I couldn't paint, you know, and that I knew, you know. But see, all the other things, becoming a director, becoming a filmmaker, all the, those have to do with property. Those have to do with hands-on things, like getting, acquiring a camera, for instance, and a crew and all these things. And I think that because of where I was economically, um, that didn't seem like a viable alternative. You know, those things were really far away. Like, I remember imagining, what do you have to do to become a fireman? when I was a kid, I would think, what, you know, what do you do? How do you know? That seemed to me like a special occupation. You had to go somewhere to become a fireman. You know, you just couldn't walk in the door and say, you know, you guys hiring any firemen today? You know, you couldn't, <laughs> you know, you had to come in there already, you were a fireman, you know, something like that. You know, like a doctor, you'd go to doctor school, medical school to become a doctor. So, um, or I wondered how you get a job in a forest. How do, you, how do you get to be a ranger, you know? Things like that. So these things are unaccessible. Uh, when I was a kid, I'm sure they're more accessible now, so to a, to but, a degree. But, but. OK, thank you. And I'll, I'll, I'll close with a poem that I wrote for my father a few years ago. My father um, passed away when I was 15. And I'm sure you can understand. I've missed him for many years. And uh, so I wrote this for him, his birthday a few years ago, simply, poem for my father. Today I've seen green, the color green. Green, green, a light green, almost green, but still green. Such greens, such greens as I've never seen or dreamed. Yet it seems I know these greens. Dark greens and still darker greens and greens with light shining from their tops and greens you could not describe no matter how you tried. Greens with water flowing through them. Greens almost on fire. Greens the color of earth. Greens the color of the sea, greens in a shadow of green, and greens where the bugs that lay upon them are lost in their greenery. Green, green, green with life, green of death, such green as my father will never see, gone from this green reality. Today, I grieve in the mystery of green. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.